Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. What's your favourite kind of happily ever after? Do you uh, like a classic rom-com? Did you watch Christmas movies on Netflix or whatever other streaming thing that all have the same shape? There's a problem. Someone returns to their hometown where it's very snowy. And it's, they meet someone... It's going well, but then something happens to put it all under threat. But then at the last minute, something great happens and there's a happily ever after with tinkly bells and starlight and Christmas trees. Maybe you uh, reject all of that and you're into a more gritty type of movie, TV show. Uh, <laughs> Phil and I recently watched a movie that was uh, set in Belgium, in Bruges, and um, everybody died. <laughs> there was no happy ending, sorry, if you're going to watch that. I haven't said exactly what the name of the movie is, um, but um, yeah, there was no happily ever after. Uh, of course, sometimes the best you can hope for is that there's going to be a sequel and that the happily ever after will come outside the arc of the movie or the season that you've been watching or even book that you've been reading. Of course, the hardest time to find a happily ever after is in a real life story. Sometimes you'll get a happily ever after if you've just taken a snapshot of someone's life. And you and I know that happily ever after may mean all kinds of ups and downs after the resolution to the particular narrative arc. But sometimes the book itself has no happy ending if it is a real life story and you're left hoping or being moved to work for a better ending outside of the story. I remember reading No Friend But the Mountains by Behrouz Bouchani, uh, who was an Iranian uh, who came by boat from Indonesia to Christmas Island and ended up uh, in Manus Island detention. And he wrote this book, uh, you might have heard of it, via WhatsApp messages that he sent. The entire book was written from Manus uh, via WhatsApp and translated by a friend into English. And uh, he wrote the book in 2013 and 2014. It was published in 2018. And it ends in 2014, the story, basically with the words, Riza is dead. And uh, it ends with these prison riots that had been happening on Manus. Uh, 
and this gentle giant, a friend of his, being killed. I remember thinking, well, this is why I don't read <laughs> real-life stories. It was agonising. And uh, after that time, many in the, after it was published, many in the media got to watch uh, to see what would happen to Beirut uh, after Manus Island Detention Centre was closed. And eventually he was able to go to New Zealand. And in 2020, he was granted refugee status in New Zealand. I'm sure that that is not a happy ending, but it is a happier ending for him than the story that finished with Riza is dead in No Friend But The Mountains. Sometimes you need, especially in a very dark setting, to wait until after the story for a happier ending. Well, Ruth is uh, somewhat like a Christmas movie, but also like a darker, more forward-looking story. It uh, has this kind of shape of a bit of a romance, and we see today that we're up to the part where, oh no, something could go wrong, they thought it was going so well. But it's actually set in a very dark time. It's set in the time of the judges in Israel, and the book of Judges uh, is one that I um, am not looking forward to if I ever have to teach on it here because it's full of violence, uh, abuse, atrocities, uh, particularly against women. And it's summed up at the end of the book as uh, in those times there was no king and every person did what was right in their own eyes. It was a time of uh, great self-interest, lawlessness, and I'd say the Wild West, but I think that would make it sound too romantic. It was, uh, there was intra-tribal, inter-tribal and intra-tribal fighting. There was murder and worse, if you might believe such a thing. So the story of Ruth starts in this dark time, in the time of the judges, where there was a famine in the land of Israel. And we know it's in Bethlehem, the house of bread. But... There is no bread in Bethlehem, even though later it would become a bright spot in this dark time. Bethlehem, too, is shrouded in darkness at the start of Ruth. Naomi and her husband Elimelech uh, go to Moab and a neighbouring country, not really friends with Israel, and with their sons, their sons grow and are married to Moabite women. The husband dies and the two sons die. It is super dark. Naomi says, I've come from the house of bread. I was empty there and I am emptier now. She goes uh, and says, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Uh, at least, I guess, there's some uh, family connections there. They head, head back Ruth goes with her, and 
the brightness starts to grow. Ben and I uh, decided to call this series Hope is on the Way. And part of it was because it points forward, this book, to hope that is coming. But there's also hope along the way at each point. So God grants Naomi a daughter-in-law, a Moabite, who says, I am going to come with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. There's great hope in that. Naomi is not alone. Then when they get there and Naomi is able to glean in the fields of Boaz and receive grain for her family, and then she receives even greater generosity and is able to harvest with the women there, there's hope. Then when we discover that Boaz has some family obligations to Ruth and Naomi, there's great hope. And then when there seems to be a little bit of romance, we think, oh, finally, I'm out of the darkness and I'm into Hallmark Christmas movie number 312. And then we realise at the end of chapter 3, there was a possibility that Boaz was going to be the one to help the family, but there's actually someone who is closer in relation to Naomi, whose right it is to have first option. And we haven't really seen that there's two parts to the redemption that is required until we get to the city gates, which is like the council offices or the town square, and Boaz says, Naomi is selling some land, and, of course, then there's the marriage to Ruth. Will you redeem? Uh, last week we spoke a little bit about what kinsman redeemer means or guardian redeemer, um, but uh, I didn't go into it as much because I wanted to talk about it today. You and I don't use the word redemption all that much, except maybe if you received a gift card for Christmas. Uh, if you look at the terms and conditions, often the word redemption or redeeming is used uh, when you have tickets or vouchers or discounts, things like that. And uh, uh, at, when I grew up, whenever you got a movie voucher, which was most, like, that was pretty much the only vouchers, really, that, that we would have, uh, it was so annoying because you could never go at the times when anybody wanted to go to the movies. Like, the terms of redemption of the voucher was that you could go at, like, Tuesday at midday uh, and um, you definitely couldn't go on a Friday night or all day Saturday. Uh, if, you, if you know, you know. Um, but you'll often find that language of redemption cannot be redeemed with any other offer, you know, um, that sort of thing. And what it means is that you've got something which you can apply or use in exchange to receive something else, some goods and services to go and get a move, to watch a movie, to get some clothes, whatever it is. Or, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a discount that you apply and that you're effectively getting money. The word redemption or redeeming really does mean to give something in exchange 
for something else. To gain or to regain something that was yours through the expenditure of something that you have. So it's often talked about uh, in the Bible that God redeemed his people from Egypt in the Exodus. Now, God didn't go to Pharaoh and buy them back with money, but the word redeeming still functions because God used his resources, his might, his power, his compassion uh, to bring his people out of slavery. He regained what was his in a way and he gained the freedom for these people through using his resources on their behalf. In Leviticus 25, uh, there's a whole structure around the way in which people would be cared for in Israel. You might have heard of Sabbath, where people rest, including uh, people who work for you and animals. You might have heard of Jubilee. Jubilee is where uh, land gets a rest and then uh, where land gets returned to the people who traditionally uh, held it. Uh, whose families, so when, when the Israelites inherited the land, it was all divided up between all the tribes, you know, Gad and Dan, and if you've seen, Judah was the eldest of the children of Israel with Simeon and Levi. The ne-. No, that's from Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, but it really helps. Um, <laughs> so it's all <laughs> divided up. I, that was not in the notes. Um, all divided up. And uh, if someone from Simeon, the tribe of, needed to sell their land, uh, 50 years was the maximum that someone else could hold that land before it had to go back to that tribe or that family. Uh, And then within that, even more, there were family obligations to ensure that people weren't sold into slavery or that pieces of land didn't leave the family um, destitute if they they had to be sold. Uh, Finally, we talked about this last week as well, uh, there was something called Leverite marriage. Lever is just the Latin term for brother-in-law. Brother-in-law marriage. And that was uh, if uh, if a brother died and left a wife with no children, no heirs, then the brother-in-law had an obligation to marry the woman and to uh, provide an heir for her, for for the dead brother's family. So this is all the background that is going on. This is what shapes God's people. Redemption. Even in the psalm, Psalm 130, there started to be discussion of God not only redeeming people from slavery in Egypt, but that God would redeem people from their sins. Redemption, the exchange of something to gain or regain what was yours, was the fabric of this little town of Bethlehem 
So Boaz, knowing this and knowing his obligations, goes to the one who is closer in Ty, and he says, there is family land, and you have first option to buy it. Now, we don't find out the name of this person who's buying the land, but uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, apparently, it's a bit of a, uh, a rhyming play on words so that it's a little bit like a Joe Schmo. It's a, it's a no one. It's a random. And Joe Schmo gets the dollar signs in his eyes because he knows if he's got first option to buy this land, yes, it stays in the family, but he gets to use it. Suddenly there's, you know, it's like uh, trying to buy property in Tasmania. My sister's just moved there. It's really hard. Something's opened up and he says, yes. But he didn't realise that it came with the obligation to marry Ruth. Now, up until this point, we're imagining Ruth as a great catch and we're thinking, well, this is terrific. Why wouldn't you? This, you know, come on, mate. But he says, no, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. Joe Schmo realises that uh, unlike the land, which he gets to use and farm or livestock or whatever, um, that bringing Ruth into his family entails not just remitting or redeeming debt, but actually giving her access to every entitlement that a wife, a family member has. She comes into his family and then the child that may be born from their union actually has a right to all kinds of property. She now has everything and the child will not even be his and perhaps it will take not only the land but some of Ruth's uh, inheritance as well. I have had many times in my life where the dollar signs have gone up and then they've gradually gone down. Maybe as you read the terms and conditions, or um, I remember when I was like 15, we used to go shopping in a great place called Trading Partners in Glenfrey Road, and, um, and one day I was in there and, and the lady said, oh, if you'd like to work here, that'd be great. We really need people to work here, and um, I was like, fantastic, 15, get some money. Um, I was there with my mum and the, uh, I thought, I haven't even had to like give them my resume. I just walked into this job and I walked out and mum goes, you know they're volunteers, right? Meow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, I did not volunteer there because I'm hard-hearted. Uh, this is what has happened with Joe Schmo. He's seen the opportunity, but then he's realised the cost. And that's really where we see at this point in the book of Ruth, that this fabric of redemption underlying their faith and underlying their social structures although it seems to be able to produce a happily ever after, it's deeply 
costly. Redemption for Boaz will mean paying the debts of the family buying this land. But it will also mean not just the remission of the negative, not just bringing to a neutral, but it will mean bringing into family status Ruth and Naomi. It will be replacing their emptiness, not with neutral, but with abundance. Well, the marriage goes ahead. And instead of seeing the camera fade to black on Boaz and Ruth, surprisingly, it turns back to Naomi. Naomi, who started in the midst of the darkness, who's been empty, who said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. Now she sits with the women of Israel, the women of Bethlehem around her and holds the child in her arms and they say, Naomi has a son. I'm sure in the last five years or so, you have uh, come across this Japanese art of kintsugi, the practice of taking something which is broken and restoring it so that the cracks and scars are still there, but they are joined with a beautiful gold. It's actually really captured part of uh, the kind of heart of our generation, I think, because we're so aware that none of us are perfect. And so it doesn't matter whether uh, it's a Christian speaker or a, a motivational speaker or, or whatever it is, um, the, the speaking to the self-esteem of someone who has gone through a great deal of trauma Kintsugi says, your scars can bring even more beauty. Naomi has not been restored to the way that she was at the beginning. She still, as she holds little Obed, has the scars of grief and loss husband and two sons, deep pain. And yet there is a beautiful restoration. She's surrounded by her kin and there is within her now a great hopefulness May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. What has come is now even more beautiful than what was lost. And so this happily ever after, sits with a woman who was broken, who was empty, who is now restored 
and beautifully full. But I wonder if you've ever thought about how expensive kintsugi is. You do not use this on the mug that said, I love cats, um, or best dad in the world. Uh, you might that, I, you might really love cats. But the problem is you're joining something here with gold. I looked online, you can buy pre-created kintsugi because that is so now. Someone's done the breaking and the joining for you. And you can get a plate in Australian dollars that has been joined back together with resin and gold uh, dust powder for $800. I don't think I own a plate that costs $80. So beautiful. And yet to create it, (laughs) the resources are far greater than what it was in the past. When we think about Naomi's restoration, we cannot go past the cost. Yes, to Boaz, absolutely. But also to Ruth. Ruth left her homeland. Ruth left the opportunity to go back to her family, to marry again there. Ruth risked uh, safety and health as she harvested alongside uh, those that believed her to be a foreigner, marginalised and sometimes hated. Ruth risked rejection and shaming when she went to the threshing floor and proposed marriage to Boaz. Ruth's actions are also costly to gain Naomi this beautiful restoration. And that's what redemption is. And so when uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about Christians as being those who are redeemed, bought back, regained for the one who made them, he uses language of that paying off of debts and bringing into the family of abundance. So let me read to you from Ephesians 1, and we're going to study Ephesians later in the year. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We were his. He loved us. He's given us everything 
And then in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship or joining the family through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You only choose something very precious to Kintsugi. And to make it truly beautiful, you have to give far more than it was worth in the first place. In love, God created us, blessed us in the heavenly realms, chose us before the creation of the world. We were precious. And then when we were broken through our own sin, through our living without him, through the damage and mess of this world, he not only paid our debts through his blood, Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But he brought us into his family. Adoption, in this case, to sonship. Of course, there are other, there's other imagery, family imagery, which talks about uh, brother, which talks about uh, marriage, kinship. So that now we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Even in the book of Ruth, the happily ever after sits outside the narrative arc of the story. It is happy there, but there is a happier. And we know that because the women say to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. They're not talking about Boaz, the guardian redeemer. They're talking about the son, Obed, and of course what will come after Obed, Jesse, King David, and from David's line, the redeemer who can bear the cost that it would take to redeem the whole world. Only God in his own son could pay what it would cost to find what was needed to bring us to this beautiful restoration. Debts paid adopted into the family. We're going to share communion uh, after singing together. And uh, we don't see Jesus use the words redemption uh, about communion or even about his ministry, but we do 
see him operating in, in exactly those terms when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to release captives, to bring sight to the blind. Uh, and so that's the kind of jubilee. And then when he says, the son of man came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we share the Lord's Supper, this is what we are coming to do. We are coming to the table of the one who said, I'm here to set the captives free, to pay the debts, to give my life as a ransom, to redeem, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour to look forward to the hope that is on the way. So let's uh, stand and sing.